Hey friends, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. We've got an incredible episode today. You're going to want to lead in. But I want to ask you this question. What are you doing to develop young leaders at your church? What are you doing to to see those 20-somethings get plugged into your ministry? How are you systematically growing them? When I think of developing young leaders, the people I think of is Leadership Pathway. They have worked with hundreds of churches. They have interviewed literally thousands of candidates over the past several years. And they've rolled up all this learning into a brand new ebook that I want you to pick up. It's with the five core competencies that are at the heart of leadership development process uh, for young leaders particularly. In fact, it's at the core of their process of doing residency programs with young leaders. So what I want you to do is to go over to leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary and pick up this free resource today. I've noticed recently that our friend Seth Godin really has hopped on the soft skills mantra. He really keeps saying that these soft skills, these are the real skills for future leaders, for future workers. And really, our friends at Leadership Pathway, they are experts in these things. Their process is designed over a two-year residency to develop amazing team leaders for your church and for others. I want you to pick up this five core competencies book. It's absolutely free. Just go to leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary to pick it up. And listen, tell Sean, Kristen, Michelle, Dave, all of our friends over at Leadership Pathway that we sent you here at Unseminary. These are good people. You're going to want to listen to them, particularly when it comes to working with next generation leaders. All right, friends, let's jump into today's episode. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. You know, every week on the podcast, we try to bring you a leader who will both inspire and equip you. And today is no exception. Super excited to have Pastor Charles Stone with us, a repeat guest. Love Charles. He's such a great leader. Uh, He leads at a church in Ontario, Canada, my backyard, which is so good to be here, called West Park. It's a uh, multicultural congregation. Uh, He's the lead pastor. uh, But on top of him being a lead pastor, and doing this incredible job there. He also provides lots of leadership training uh, to help leaders thrive in both life and leadership. He trains as coaching, consulting, uh, really in a couple different areas, preaching and teaching effectiveness, leadership success, emotional and spiritual health. Uh, Charles, I am super glad to have you on the show today. Welcome. How's life? Oh, Rich, great to be with you. Uh, life is going pretty well down here in London, uh, getting the initial little snippets of snow, but uh, doing, doing well <laughs> <Sure>. down here. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's great. I uh, I grew up about an hour away. I don't know if I told you this. I grew up in Chatham, Ontario, which is like oh, really? an hour from ah. there towards Windsor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for folks that are listening in, Chatham is a fairly small town between two kind of larger towns, Windsor, which is right by Detroit or London. And so we would it was if we were going to go to the mall or like go somewhere good. It was always do you go to Windsor or do you go to London? I always <laughs> like to go to London. I always thought London was nicer. So I'm so glad you're here. Now, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about West Park? Give us a bit of your context, and then we'll jump into what we're talking about today. You bet. Uh, one of the coolest things about our church is we are truly multicultural. We have actually mm-hmm. four language pastors, including myself. We have wow. four congregations within one church, and we all meet at the same time in different places in the 
in our building. We have English, of course, and we have Spanish, and we have Mandarin, and we have Arabic. And it's uh, it. it's really, uh, it just kind of gives me a sense of like, well, this is what heaven's going to be like. So it's mm. quite unusual. And uh, I'm a transplant from the States. Probably America. my accent gives me away, but love <laughs> living here in Canada. I tell folks we're two minutes away from Walmart, two minutes away from Cornfield. The best of both worlds. <laughs> that's, that's so true. I have friends of mine uh, in Mattoon, Illinois, and the name of their church is uh, is the Fields Church, and they always joke, similar kind of joke. They're like, I, and it was so funny. I'm like, I, I thought the Fields was such a cool name. I assumed it was like the Fields of the Harvest, like yeah, the Fields, yeah. you know, and you go to their church and they're like, no, it's because you look out our back window and there's corn, like that's what it is. And so yeah, the, London is very much that. It, just, it has it that is. Kind of feel for sure. That's cool. Well, you're an author and I really love what you, um, just what you've written in the past. I think you have just such a interesting view on leadership and really helpful. And you've written a book. When I saw you wrote this, I was like, I've got to get Charles on to talk about this. And so friends, don't, don't hang up. You got to listen to this. This is going to be super helpful for you. It's called If Jesus Gave a TED Talk. Eight Neuroscience Principles the Master Teacher Used to Persuade His Audience. So I'd love to hear what what kind of led you to writing this book. Uh, what what It's a huge task to pull this kind of thing together. What led you to that? Well, I think I'm probably like a lot of pastors uh, or those who are speakers. You scratch your head after you deliver your talk and you think, how much of that really stuck? I have spent oh, 20 hours this week, 15 hours this week preparing this. How much stuck? You know, yes. like unseminary, what they never taught you in seminary. They never really taught us these kind of principles. They say no, it's three true. points and a poem. I'm not dismissing seminary training. It's fine. Yes. But yes. I really had to question myself of all this work I put in, am I really taking into consideration how God wired our brains and what mm. learning is all about, communication is all about. A couple of years ago, about a year ago, I got a graduate certificate from Johns Hopkins on mind, brain, and, and teaching. And mm-hmm. so th- what, what happened there is they gave us the latest insight on what is neuroscience telling us about learning. Mm-hmm. And I've paired that with what do the Gospels tell us about how mm-hmm. Jesus taught. Obviously, he's Love the greatest it. teacher in the world, master teacher. So that's, that's, what, that's the genesis of what brought the connection of these two in this book. Love it. So I've most of my career has been in that kind of second seat, executive pastor, lead team roles, that kind of thing. And so I'm not primarily a communicator, although I, you know, obviously a friend of mine, you know, Jeff Henderson always says leadership comes with a microphone. We all have to worry about how yeah. we communicate. Yeah. But I'm not, I haven't been in that kind of primary teaching seat spot. But man, I value this part of what we do so much. It is so important in our churches. I don't overstate. I've said this to executive pastors for years. A part of our job is to create space so that our lead pastors have the space to be able to perfect this. So man, I just decided to dig in. When you think about, you know, so there's a lot we could talk about in here. When you think about kind of the you know, the one thing that kind of sticks out as like, okay, here is the walk away um, kind of big learning that you uncovered as you put this book together that kind of stuck with you. It's like, mm, here's something that we should be thinking about as we communicate. What would that be? I think the big learning is I, most uh, communicators, pastors, let's say, they do a good job of extracting what the scriptures have to say. Mm-hmm. But pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to, and whether you are a pastor or you're an executive pastor, you're leading a training session, not only do you pay attention to the content, which is certainly mm-hmm. important, but mm-hmm. you need to pay attention. You need to give, I won't say an equal amount of attention, but clearly intentional intention as to 
what's going on in the brain of my listener? What do mm. I need to do and how I craft the communication of this before I get in the room to make the message stick? So I guess that'd be an overarching big takeaway because here's an interesting statistic. There's a mm -hmm. guy named Ebbinghaus. He was a German mm -hmm. neuroscientist <laughs> from, I mean, way back. Well, mm -hmm. he figured out that the average person forgets 75% of a talk within an hour or so. Within a week, you wow. forget 90%. And wow. research since then has confirmed that people forget unless you employ some of these kind of techniques and concepts and principles to build mm -hmm. into your talk. And so- you know, this guy was like a really eccentric guy, but boy, he was onto something that science has mm -hmm. told us is true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. Let's dig into that. So, uh, you know, we live in an, it seems like a culture that, you know, our ability to remember, our ability to hold the attention, uh, it, it's just become, it's it's under attack. It's very hard to keep people's interest. And I think sometimes as as particularly preachers or teachers, I think sometimes it's like they fall into two categories. It's like, I don't want to do anything that will look like entertaining. So mm -hmm. I, it's almost like I want to be boring uh, because it feels holy. It's like, that's, yeah. you know, that's what I need to be like. Yeah. Or, and they, and those folks would look across the fence and say, those guys over there that are like doing all kinds of crazy stuff that, that feels like, oh, they're, you know, they're just, they're just playing games. Or on the other side, we would say, you know, I'm always kind of constantly looking for the latest hook. I'm constantly looking for something that's going to just grab their attention and maybe not able to hold to uh, scriptural truth. Like the joke I've made in other contexts, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's correct. And, you know, so how do we balance those two out? What what, if, what are we learning here about holding people's attention? What does that look like? What How can neuroscience help us with that problem? Well, I'm going to go to the, the uh, statement before neuroscience is look at Jesus. Jesus right. was the master communicator. He used right. all of these concepts and principles before mm -hmm. neuroscience was even a word. So I think the fear, certainly you can over overdo what that some may call the entertainment piece. I'm not talking about entertainment here. I'm talking about the way God created our brains, how mm -hmm. we process information, how we learn. We as mm -hmm. communicators have to actually take that into mind and we're not compromising the gospel because Jesus mm -hmm. uh, did these very things. And the, the, the kind of image I use is a platter. You know, I, li okay. I like to eat. I like space like buffets. <laughs> and so, you know, the buffet plate's never big enough, but imagine a platter, Rich. <laughs> yes. And on this platter are eight globs of delicious food. Okay. So the way I've designed this, these concepts is imagine the platter with eight globs of these insights. And as you prepare mm. your talk, you don't have to use every single one of them, but at least have three or four of them that would work mm. in that particular talk. And we can talk more about those, what I would call the globs on the bladder, if you'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. What would be one or two of those globs that kind of are the kind of thing that, you know, you find yourself either giving advice to younger communicators or you're, you know, running into somebody when you listen to a talk, you think, oh my, they should be paying more attention to this, yeah. this yeah. piece or two. Well, let me just take a minute or uh, less, less than a minute to give yep. the eight blogs just brief. Uh, and, and then we'll talk about a couple. Sure. A blob one is clarity. Mm -hmm. Begin mm -hmm. with the end in mind. Blob two mm -hmm. is attention. Peak mm -hmm. interest. Blob three would be affinity. Create connection. Mm -hmm. Blob mm -hmm. four is, I missed one here. Blob, I skipped over one. I said blob four. Yeah, blob mm -hmm. four is capacity. 
free mm-hmm. up working memory. Blob five mm-hmm. is durability, stimulate long-term memory. Blob six is emotion, engage the heart. Blob seven, mindset, cultivate confidence. Blob eight, transfer, stimulate life application. So I call them blobs, but probably uh, I actually used a technique just now. I created a visual <laughs> picture and anywhere from 30 to 7% of the brain is used when you use visual processing. And your listeners probably remember the blobs on the platter more than yeah. some of the specific stuff I said. I love that. Well, and I love that even as you were doing that, I was like, oh, that's a vivid, even th- I, did, I wondered if you were you were playing, playing a, a neuroscience mind trick on us because even the idea of food, right? It's like you're yeah. attaching t- to oh, yeah. a, a core need that people have and you're like, oh, I'm yeah. leaning in now. Everyone can picture that plate. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. when you think about those eight blobs, very vivid, I'm thinking about the stuff I like at a, at a buffet. What would be a couple of those that kind of sure. stick to yeah. mind as things that you end up coaching people on? Well, I have designed this latest writing is I have these eight principles and I have three takeaways beneath each one. Now here's, we'll just uh, touch on principle one. Clarity began with the end in mind. Three practices. Number one is clarify the big takeaway. Mm. It's really important that a communicator knows what do they want to take away. And there are two kinds. There's a gist takeaway and there's a verbatim Mm. takeaway. A Mm. gist would be, I just want them to go away with the general concepts of what I'm talking about. Whereas Mm. verbatim would be, I want them to remember more specific things. So I think a communicator Mm. needs to get that clear in mind. And it's really called the through line. You know, when uh, great writers write uh, screenplays, they have a through line. This is like the through line. So that's practice Mm. number one. Practice number two is create a concept map. Here's how I illustrate it. My dad loves jigsaw puzzles. I Mm. do not like jigsaw puzzles. (laughs) <laughs> but I guarantee you will not be able to put a jigsaw puzzle together unless you see the picture on the front of the box. So what right, my dad does, right, right, right. he puts the box up there and then he creates the outline. A mm. concept map is kind of like telling them what you're going to tell them. Not the whole details, right. but tell them up front what you're going to tell them. What it actually does, it kind of warms up the neurons in the brain to be prepared for because they're looking for that. And mm, here's the third one. That. This has actually changed my preaching quite dramatically. It's called the primacy recency principle. And here's how Mm. it goes. People remember uh, the most of what you say at the beginning of the talk. Mm -hmm. And they remember the second most at the end of the talk. And here's Mm. why that happens. You start talking and you're bringing some new concepts, new ideas to to the learner, the listener. Well, as they're getting that new stuff, it's filling up their working memory and they kind of disengage somewhat as the brain begins to Uh, massage that material and send it into long-term memory called consolidation. So after that happens, they kind of wake up. Now, this may happen in a cycle in several messages if you're doing it in sections, but that is so crucial that when you plan your talk, front load and back load the most important things because that's what your audience is going to remember. Oh, I love that. That's so good. I, I love the, I just even practically there, you can see how, hey, we want to um, load our messages in a way that that gets, that gets keeps that big idea, whatever the thing is that we're talking about on the front and back. That's great. I, I've had a privilege of working for three excellent communicators. Um, Bruxy Cavia guy, you would know yep, in, yep. in the Toronto area, Carrie Newhoff with lots of our listeners mm-hmm. will know, and then a guy, Tim Lucas. And one of the things when he talked about focus on the takeaway, one of the things that I really appreciated what Tim did was when we um, we did this whole thing called Thursday Night Gospel where we rehearsed messages and he still does that to this day. Uh-huh. And what he does at the beginning of that every time is he talks about, and everyone who speaks would have to do the same thing. 
would talk about who, tell me about the person that you're speaking to. What, who is the person in the church? And sometimes it's like an actual person. Today's message is for Charles Stone. This is what's going through in his life. Yes. I want Charles yes. to hear this. Or it's today I'm, I want to, I want to particularly hit, you know, and be like a profile of, of a person. Can you give us examples of other ways that you can focus us on the takeaway? What are some ways that we should be thinking? If this is such an important piece of that, how are some other ways we should be, you know, wrestling with that idea? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something called dual coding. And the way our brain works, it codes visually, encodes auditorially, okay? okay. What we see and what we hear. Mm-hmm. And what scientists are finding out now is when you m- mesh those two together, dual coding, you are going to create what you're saying to be more sticky to the learner, to the mm-hmm. listener. So it's because of that working memory. If you can imagine working memory, that's a crucial part. Some people call it uh, uh, diff- different terms, but working memory is where stuff is processed. It initially Mm. goes there from our senses. And then from there, if it's salient enough, that is, it's important enough, then it ends up in long-term memory. So they can hopefully recall it. But if you can imagine working memory, like a small stage, say you go to watch a play, Mm. there's a small stage, only four people can get on the stage. And that's what they say, four plus or minus units of information can stay in working memory at once. When a new actor comes on the stage, one's got to go off. So there's only so much information you can keep there. And if you can devise ways, that through line, to to, um, make more memory stick like using the visual, Mm -hmm. like using acronyms that -hmm. people can remember, you're doing something called chunking. And remember, remember growing up, uh, learning the uh, Great Lakes, Holmes, H-O-M-E-S stands for the mm-hmm. first letter of each one of the Great Lakes. That's chunking. So if you can mm-hmm. build in little acronyms that are easy to remember, the brain actually remembers that acronym first, which is easy to remember, and then mm-hmm. they're more likely to recall what follows after that. So that can help reinforce mm-hmm. that through line or that big idea, those key points you really want your listener to take away. Love it. Uh, let's talk about even the visual thing. It seems like to me, um, again, that's as a communicator, as someone who communicates with leaders and that sort of thing, I always try to use some sort of visual hook when I'm talking. I'm not a, I, I'm not a neuroscientist person like yourself, <laughs> but I, I know that, hey, that helps. It does seem like more and more communicators like Sunday morning you know, preachers are using visual aids. They're using things more, more than slides. Like they're bringing a prop onto stage. They're doing something. There's, it's like the carrot top of preaching. There seems yeah. to be some of that happening. It, it, tell us more about that. Is that a good practice? Is that the kind of thing we should be thinking about? Is there a good way to use props or visuals that neuroscience can help us think that through? Well, I think with the uh, advent of the, the internet and so much is visual now that we have to recognize we live in this visual world. I mentioned earlier that anywhere from 30 to 70% of the brain is active when uh, visual processing occurs. So mm-hmm. when you use these visuals, it uh, uses more of the brain. When more of the brain is used, more stuff is remembered. Now, a couple of cautions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want the visual to be so cool and snazzy they people forget what what's what's it about. Like I've seen right. some commercials, like oh that is a great commercial, and then after the server, like what were they selling? <laughs> what was that for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. exactly. True. So <laughs> you can, you certainly can overdo it. But let me give one little practical insight: mm-hmm. is almost everybody uses PowerPoint now or Keynote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the principles of maximizing your uh, your message is when you 
you've heard the phrase a lot, less is more. When mm. you put text on a screen and mm. you put a picture, you want to use limited text and put them both together or, or, mm. or not together. I mean, really, really close together. Don't mm-hmm. overcomplicate a PowerPoint because what you're doing, if you overcomplicate a PowerPoint, either visually or with too much mm-hmm. text, the person is kind of reading through that, trying to process it when you're talking about it. Here's mm-hmm. another one that I, I've done wrong all these years. When I uh, read the scripture, I'll put like, you know, seven or eight verses on the PowerPoint and I will read it out loud. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the people out there, some are not as literate as others. They read slower. Or they read mm. faster. So mm. what I've started doing outside of, you know, maybe one verse, I'll read it out. If I have a longer section of scripture, I'll say, now, just read this to yourself. Now, there's silence. And in my mind, I read it slowly. For God so loved the world. To give people who mm. are slower oh, readers. A great hook. To yeah, process it. it. And then yes. I'll go back and I'll read it. Now, I actually I have my, my keynote where I can circle on my iPad and it shows up on the, on the screen. So that brings attention. Another thing too, is when you have, let's say you have a, a verse or a point you want to really emphasize, provide contrast. Like say mm. you use black and white, you know, when Apple in- introduces all their products, it's so simple. It's, yes. it's they're masters at that. Yeah. But use a different color for a keyword that subtly embeds that and reinforces that word, that keyword that hopefully writes to your key concepts in the listener's mind. Love it. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that too. Even just the example of staying very simple, trying yeah. to stay clean. Cause I think mm-hmm. in some ways you could see this time with some churches where it's like, just because you can put so many photos on the screen, so many words, you can overload it. And then, and it's like your message just gets lost. It gets, you know, it's gone. Can you give an, an example? Um, so that idea of the, the concept map, I think was a vivid one, even of the jigsaw puzzle and all that. Can you flesh that out a little bit more in the, in the, in the kind of a weekend message format? What does that look like beyond? And maybe it's just like what they taught us in preaching school, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. But what is there more that you kind of flesh out on that for us to be thinking about the concept map? Yeah. Almost all of my messages have a concept map up front. It can be as simple as like, I'm just going to make this up. Uh, uh, the Bible says this about love. Love is, and on a slide I'll have one with a blank space, two with a blank space, three with a blank space. I'll say, we're going to look at three concepts of love. It can be as simple as that. It can be like an org mm-hmm. chart with boxes that are blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you, if, and of course you need to make sure you get uh, copyright approval for, to use uh, pictures. And there are some sites for free pictures. You can use pictures like, okay, we're going to talk about love in these three areas. And I just throw up three pictures that really illustrate that particular mm-hmm. concept of love. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. one way to make a concept map. Also, there's this program called Doodly, D-O-O-D-L-Y. It's really it's inexpensive, easy to use. Sometimes I will create it. It's, it's like handwriting, you know, somebody's handwriting. I will do that and I'll have like an arrow with a blank and that's point one, point two, point three. That mm-hmm. becomes uh, kind of a unique way of creating concept maps. So there are all kinds. You can Google concept maps and find a gazillion different ways to do that. I love that. Well, and you can see why so many... Um, yeah, just sticky ideas that have 
you know, stuck in our culture, a lot of times they do have that kind of a simple framework. It doesn't need to be crazy, but like a, you know, whether it's like you say, a, an acronym or a few words that kind of hold the whole thing together. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, great. Is there, when you wrote this book and were researching and pulling it together, I'm sure there was a surprise. There was something that you ran into that was like, Ooh, that's different. Or, and you've mentioned a couple already, like how it's actually changed your teaching. Are yeah. there any other surprises that you came across that like, Ooh, Hey, this is uh, a little different than maybe I would have anticipated. Yeah. I think one of them would be, there were a number of those. One was um, limiting the impact of what's called cognitive dissonance. Okay. Cognitive dissonance is, like, okay, I'm eating a bag of Cheetos and I'm telling myself, I really need to lose weight. There's, <laughs> there's, there's some yes. dissonance going on there. I so, may be aware of that cognitive dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Cheetos, so maybe that's something that's yes. a little crazy. Uh, if you want people to get from point A to point B, you don't want to try to zoom them. Uh, and if, if point B is a long ways away, maybe you want to get them to point A point one first. Mm-hmm. If it's so far, if someone just, they're, they're addicted to Cheetos, you've got mm-hmm. to lose weight and quit eating Cheetos. They're probably not going to get very far, but you want to, mm-hmm. you want to, you want cognitive dissonance. You want people to move forward to do whatever mm-hmm. you want them to do, but you don't want to be so far ahead that the distance is so great. They say, oh, I'm, I can't do that. That's just too, mm. too great of a step for me. So that was mm. a, a real learning for me that I, uh, I try to remember that not everybody out there is ready to take go from A to B, but they may be ready mm. to go from A point one to A point two. Oh, I love that. I think that's a great challenge for us as we think about teaching. What is the simple step? I sometimes feel like, and particularly, so I unabashedly I'm evangelical. That's been my my tradition. That's what I've grown up in. And I do sometimes feel like our teaching, it comes to the end of it and it's like, no one ever, ever says it this way, but it's like, well, there are some interesting ideas. We'll see you next week. It's like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like, here's a bunch of stuff yes, and then yes. you walk out. But I love the idea of like, okay, therefore here's a step. Take this this really practical step. Tomorrow when you go to work, do this. Is that the kind of thing you're thinking of? Yeah. In fact, principle eight is called transfer, stimulate right. life application. It's clarifying what is the now what? What do you yep. want them to do? Be clear. And also under this principle eight, a transfer, stimulate life application is creating clear cues. People mm-hmm. walk out, they're going to go out to eat with a friend. They're going to go to a restaurant. What can you do to help them remember it? Well, one mm-hmm. thing we did a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about, I think, generosity. And Mm -hmm. I was having people evaluate like eight qualities or six qualities of generosity. And I was using little emojis, you know, smiling Mm -hmm. on one end and frowning on the other end. As I went through my message, I asked them to, or actually toward the end, I I backloaded. I asked them to evaluate yourself just mentally. Mm -hmm. Then I said, when you leave today, we're going to give you a little card that's going to reproduce that little six point evaluation with those emojis. Take that. And this afternoon, do some evaluation. So I was very, very clear. And mm. I gave them a physical cue, the card. Now they may have thrown it away, but a good portion probably at, at lunch or, you know, maybe the next day or that afternoon, like they probably thought through it because I gave them a clear cue of what I wanted them mm. to do. 
Love it. That's so good. And again, I love that when teachers push to the practical like that. Hey, here's here's something we actually want you to think about. Um, you know, to take this next step. That's that's fantastic. Well, I really want people to pick up this book again. It's if Jesus gave a TED Talk: Eight Neuroscience Principles the Master Teacher Used to Persuade His Audience. Uh, where do we want to send people to pick up copies of this? I'm assuming Amazon. Is there somewhere else where we want to send them if they're if they're looking for copies of this? Uh, Amazon's a place to go, but yep. also have a, a website. They can get a free first chapter if they want at oh, jesustedtalk.com. www.jesustedtalk.com. Wow. You easy got that domain. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So it's easy there. And then I think you uh, I, uh, have a downloadable resource that you're going to uh, provide. And oh, basically yeah. Let's talk it's about that. Checklist. Yes. I have a checklist that gives all the principles with mm-hmm. the three practical things beneath each. And I'm not sure how you're making that available, but I know you will. Absolutely. We'll put, we'll link that to the, in the show notes. I appreciate you for recalling my memory on that. This is like, it's like the heart of the book. It's like, this is like the, you know, it's, it's a good summary. It gives you a sense of yep. where everything. So even if it's, you know, if you want to dig in to get, you know, get a picture of what it is, just go to the show notes, click on that. Uh, but I really do want people to go over, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes and all that as well, but would love for people to pick uh, this up. Uh, Charles, I think this is a gift you've given to the church. It's a gift as we think about this area and try to get better in this area. I really appreciate uh, the work that you've put in to make this applicable to us so we can get better at this this important part of what we do. Thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Rich. Um, is there anything else you want to share just as we wrap up today's episode? You know, I think I'd say this one last thing. You, uh, you may not be an Andy Stanley of the communicating world, but you have a message. You have a unique message and you can communicate your unique message to one, two, three people, or you may have a large audience and you can maximize that uh, impact of your message by just giving a little more thought about how God wired our brains, Mm -hmm. applying some of those principles and God will honor that. Love it. I really appreciate this, Charles. Thank you so much. You can come on anytime. I always love what you've got to say. I find it challenging. I got a page of notes here, stuff to think about. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, great. Glad to be with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.